السلام عليكم بسم الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين um, want to first and foremost congratulate everybody in being in attendance of a gathering that is for no other purpose besides the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we learn through the hadith that simply being in a gathering like this, and I'll be honest with you, when I was your age, which I feel so old saying that, I'm 31 years old now, and I say when I was your age, everyone rolls their eyes. But I'm really old. I enjoy gardening. And I also get excited when groceries go on sale. So I think that means you're like really, really old. But when I was your age, I wouldn't really be interested in attending gatherings like this for the same reasons that a lot of us wouldn't be for whatever reason earlier on in our life. And I remember hearing a very powerful hadith one time when my parents forced me to go to an Islamic conference just like this uh, in Chicago. The conference was called Maya. I don't know if you guys remember, it's called Maya, the Maya conference. And I remember hearing Imam Siraj Wahaj, may Allah Ta'ala preserve him and bless him. And he, he said something very beautiful about gatherings like this. He said that there are some gatherings in the world in which every person who's in that gathering is reaping the benefit and getting the reward of being there, even if they didn't want to be there. So obviously there are the people who wanted to be there. They get rewarded, obviously. But the people who didn't want to, get, didn't want to be there, as we hear from the hadith literature, they will even be asked about that, Oh Allah, shall we give them a similar reward? Shall we forgive their sins as well? That the person who was like just sleeping in the back or the person who was forced to come with their friends or only came for the free food or whatever reason, should we also, are their sins going to be forgiven as well? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that everybody in that gathering, regardless of what they were doing in that gathering, they leave that gathering with their sins forgiven. So say alhamdulillah. So whatever reason you walked in the door with, that's irrelevant. Because you're here now and you're engaging in the remembrance of Allah. You're engaging in the dhikr of Allah. And as a result of that, you're going to walk out of those doors, right? Those, those curtains. You're going to walk out completely free from the mistakes that you've made intentionally, unintentionally. Amin ya rabbil alameen. So congratulations for that. Now this topic is one that's really, really important. Um, especially given the time that we live in. I don't think it's a stretch to say that at any point in your life, you're going to be made to feel strange. Um, no matter how much you might fit in in certain circles, the reality is that you will always at some point or another be made to feel on the outside. I remember when I was in school, when their substitute teacher or on the first day of class, when they would take roll call, my name is Abdurrahman, and that is not a very easy name to pronounce. And so what the teacher would do is they would go through the list of students and when they got to the name, because they would do Murphy Abdurrahman, so it was halfway through, when they said Murphy and then she would pause. So she'd be like Mason Alex and you see here and then you'd have like McCarthy Kevin here and then be Murphy A. And I would be like here. And I've always for as long as I can remember have always been feeling like I was on the outside. And then my parents put me in Islamic school, which I got expelled from, but that's another story for another time. <laughs> Don't get expelled. See, everyone's like, see, they tell their parents, like, it's fine. One day I'm going to be giving lectures. No, no, no. This was completely haphazard, right? So I went to Islamic school and I remember being like, oh, you know what? I'm going to fit in. Perfect. 
And then I got there, and they said, Abdurrahman what? Abdurrahman who? Marfi? Right? Unable to pronounce. And my dad's right there like, wow, this is really embarrassing and rude, right? Can you please watch it? But I remember this feeling of always at some point or another, whether it was because of my name, whether it was because of my religion, whether it was because of the things that I would or would not do. I remember in college, walking by frat row where people would you know, party and have a good time on Friday night and all of us would be walking towards the gym to play basketball and then afterwards go to get some halal pizza. That there were always these moments, these glaring moments in my mind and my heart that reminded me about how growing up I was always a little bit different. And sometimes when you're in the midst of something, it's very difficult for you to appreciate what it's doing for you. When you're in a difficult moment in your life, it's very challenging for anybody, no matter what age, but especially a young person. Because young people, your strength is that you are very passionate about the here and now. That you want to change things instantly. You cannot... You, know, you don't want to deal with seeing injustice or problems. You want to remedy them right away. And that's a very beautiful passion. But what that does sometimes on the scale of talent is it puts you on the side of passion so much that sometimes young people, when we're young, we lose that bit of wisdom on the other side. And so when we're going through a difficulty, we become so passionate about the challenge, trying to fix it or respond to it or repel it, that we don't take time to go on the other side of the scale and kind of zoom out of our life a little bit and ask ourselves, what is this doing for me? What has this done for me? What kind of person am I becoming? One of my favorite verses in the Quran is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking to Musa, Kalimullah, the one who spoke to Allah, Prophet Musa. I named my son after him. SubhanAllah. And he describes to him all the difficulty that he went through. He tells him that, you know, you were, you were supposed to be killed and you went through this difficult time where you had to escape as a fugitive. And then you had to, you know, you got lost in the desert and you were a wayfarer. He details to him his entire life. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells him that we were with you when you went through every moment of difficulty. And sometimes when we're going through tough times, people say to us what? Allah is with you. Don't worry, Allah is with you. لا تحزن إن الله معنا. But sometimes we almost feel like, you know what? Like, like I know, but, you know, kind of like dot, dot, dot. I need something more. Like, when is Allah going to fix this? That's what one of the companions asked the Prophet ﷺ when he was being tortured. He went to the Prophet ﷺ and he said, Ya Rasulullah, when is the help of Allah going to come? So it's very normal sometimes to be going through difficulty and to be saying to yourself like, when is this going to end? Like where's the rest going to be? The relaxation. And then he tells Musa something beautiful. At the end of his summary of his life, all the challenges he went through, he says, That everything you've been through Everything you've been through. Because remember, this was before Musa was given the, given the responsibility of delivering the message to Fir'aun. This was before all of that. I've been preparing you for myself. That the job that you have to undertake now as a messenger of Allah, you would not have been able to do it successfully and effectively had you not gone through the difficulty in your life. 
had you not gone through those moments. The Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu his life was filled with so much pain. You look at the early days of the Prophet Sallallahu life, he was born having never met his father. His mother passed away at a very early age. He had to live with his grandfather and then his uncle. And his uncle, Abu Talib, was not somebody that had a lot of wealth. And so times were very difficult. I remember one of my high school teachers told me this when my father got laid off. My dad got laid off when I was in my freshman year of high school. He used to work at a really big company, really secure job, right? Nothing secure except for Allah. Really secure job. And we used to just kind of like take that for granted. Then one day he comes home and the whole mood has changed in the home and no one knows why except for my mother. And she sits down and she tells us because it obviously comes from his honor and his pride to provide for his family. And she tells us that, hey, you know what? Like maybe don't ask your dad for so many things. Abdurrahman, stop asking for Cheetos so much. And I was like, why as I'm eating Cheetos? She's like, maybe just hold back a little bit. Be patient with your father. Don't ask for so much. It's, it's tough. And then eventually she told us what? That his job is letting him go. He's not going to have an income anymore. We have to wait until he finds a new job. All of these difficulties, subhanAllah. And then that, subhanAllah, was like the last moment that my dad ever had what we considered to be like that same kind of stability within his work. He became a consultant. He tried this. He tried that. And then he retired. Alhamdulillah. And he came home one day and he told me, Abdurrahman, what do you like to eat? And I said, peanut butter and jelly. Why? You notice how I answered super quickly? That's how you know someone loves food. And I said, why? And he goes, because that's what we're going to get you for lunch from now on. There's not going to be any choices anymore. And I'm saying that as if I should get sympathy, but peanut butter and jelly is like the sandwich of kings. So it's amazing, right? And even then, you look at some of the people around the world and what they have to eat for lunch, or if they have anything to eat for lunch, and instantly you can't feel sorry for yourself anymore. But the reason why I'm telling you all this about my life is because in that moment, it was very easy for me to look to the sky and say, oh Allah, why? Why me? Why are so many people who don't believe in you? Why are so many people who don't believe in you? Why are they prosperous? Why do they get wealth and success and happiness and money and all this? Why? And Ya Allah, we worship you and we're being tested. It's easy for a person to go that route. But then you look at the life of your beloved Prophet Muhammad And you see that every single time you've been tested, you're in good company. Every single time Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala removed something from your life in order to increase you, you became a companion so to speak, of the Prophet Muhammad And there's a beautiful hadith that talks about this. And so being someone who is in the midst of difficulty, whether it's social or emotional or spiritual, being one of these strangers, as the Prophet called them, is something to take pride in and not to become upset with. It's, some, it's something to be happy about. Why? Because the Prophet said, and we'll, we'll quote the hadith now that the the session was named after and maybe the entire youth conference was named after. That Abu Hurairah an, who was one of the close companions of the Prophet Sallallahu who he himself was kind of a stranger. He lived in the masjid of the Prophet Sallallahu He was not a man of much means. But because of his sacrifice, he's able to teach us a lot about the Prophet Sallallahu He gave up his own 
aspirations for business, entrepreneurship, whatever kind of aspirations he may have had for this world, he sacrificed them. Why? So he could study with the Prophet ﷺ. And he tells us in this hadith that the Prophet ﷺ said what? بَدَأَ الْإِسْلَامُ غَرِيبًا That Islam, it began as something غريب. Now the reason why I'm saying the word غريب and not strange is because we think of strange as being negative. But there's a beautiful translation of this word غريب that I never want you to forget. Are you ready? Yes or no? You ready? Yes or no? This translation is one of the most beautiful things. That the Prophet ﷺ said that Islam began as something غريب and it will also return to being something that is غريب. So he said, good news and congratulations to those people who are strangers. Those people who have this sense of غريبness. Now what does غريب mean? There's a scholar, beautifully he said, to be غريب is to not be home. He said it's when a person leaves their homeland and they move to a different place. Anyone here ever moved? You ever moved before? I moved from Chicago, the fourth holiest city in the world. Mecca, Medina, Jerusalem, Chicago, right? I know a lot of you here think it's Hyderabad. You're wrong. It's Chicago, right? Which is also Hyderabad. Plot twist. Okay. I, subhanAllah, you really, I really underestimated how powerful it is to have a place that you identify in your heart as a place that you call home. And this is especially why when we think of the refugee crises across the world, it shouldn't just be something that we quickly scroll through to the next House of Highlights video or the next cat video or whatever. But we should stop and think to ourselves that these people, these children, these men and women that we're seeing, that we're calling refugee, what does that mean? It means that their home, their meskana, their place of tranquility, it was stolen away from them. And I never understood the value of this word meskana, of your home, the place that you live, which the Arabs called the place of tranquility, until I had to leave Chicago. And I remember, subhanAllah, the Prophet ﷺ, one hadith very powerful, when he was leaving Mecca, and it was confirmed, final, like khalas, it was done. He's moving from Mecca, and he's going to move to Medina. What does he do? He turns around, and he faces the city of Mecca, and he has tears in his eyes. He's crying. Because this is his hometown. And he speaks to the city, and he said, if I were not commanded to leave you, I would have never left you. If Allah did not tell me, if I was not instructed that I had to move, then I would have never left you. This is what it feels like to be home. Till this day when I fly to Chicago and I'm landing, I feel this lump in my throat, in my chest. Why? Because of this emotional attachment to home. So this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ is saying that when you exist on this earth, in this dunya, as your belief gets higher, as your iman gets stronger, you're going to feel a little bit further away from home. You're not going to feel like this is your home. And I don't want you to go home, you know, after this weekend and tell your parents, you're like, I'm never home, right? I'm not, this isn't like a, like a deep Twitter moment. Like, we're never home, quote me, right? Oh my God, 10 favorites, wow, look how popular. No, this is a really serious moment. That part of the reason why difficulty and pain 
and suffering exists even in our degrees to the lesser degrees that we might go through or if they're pretty serious then they're serious is to remind us that we are not home this is not our final destination it's not where the beautiful soul that lies within us came from and it is not the final home of where that soul will be and so why would we invest everything that we have our energy our money our emotion our time into a place that is not home one of my teachers beautifully told me, he said, Abdurrahman, if I checked into a hotel, if you guys are checked into a hotel this weekend, imagine, he said, if I got to my room and I called some construction companies, I went to the Home Depot and I called some decorators and I ordered some new furniture and I renovated the entire hotel room, went from carpet to hardwood, we mounted the TV on the wall, new bathroom, he said, what would you think of me? And I said, Sheikh, that would be kind of pointless because, because you're only there for one or two days. And he said, exactly. He said, this is exactly how we are in this life. That in a comparison to our akhirah in Jannah, say inshallah, that this life is like that hotel room, one or two days. And so he said, you treat it nicely, you benefit from it. None of you go to the hotel and just sit there. I need to use the bathroom. Go. No, no, no. This is not my home. You benefit from it. You use it. It's a utility just like anything else. But you don't invest what makes you you into that. You don't invest your whole being into that because it is not your home. Your home is in paradise. And the Prophet ﷺ would say this to people as they were going through intense difficulty, when he couldn't help them, when, he, when his hands were tied, so to speak, when he was speaking to Yasir and Sumayya, Sumayya and Yasir, radiallahu anhuma, the first two people who their lives were taken from them, they were killed because they were Muslim. And the Prophet ﷺ, as he's walking by them, they're being tortured in the in open in Mecca. He's walking by their torture, their pain, he's seeing it, and he starts to cry. And he says, Sabran al Yasir. He says, Persevere. Be patient and persevere, O family of Yasir. Why? That your eventual promised home is paradise. So this hadith and this idea of being gharib or from the ghuraba this is from the idea of understanding where you belong and what that does is it changes your entire perspective on everything that you no longer feel the pressure to go which way the wind blows you why because the wind that is blowing you is artificial in the first place that if everybody is dressing a certain way or talking a certain way or doing something then that doesn't impact you. Why? Because that's not how you do it where you came from. That's how they do it here, but not where you came from. I was having a conversation with a college student recently in Dallas, and we were talking about dating. And everyone's like, huh? It's like the fatwa I've been waiting for? No. We're talking about dating. And I was, everyone obviously knows the ruling on dating. Pre-marriage, dating in the sense that we understand it, right? Everyone's like, well, what does dating really mean? Okay, easy there, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Let's calm down, okay? 
dating in the common understanding of it, where a man and a woman, a boy and a girl, go out, have fun, chill, you know, whatever. There's no limitations on physical interaction besides what they decide, right? There's no discipline in that regard. That is not permissible in Islam. Now, why? Why is it not permissible in Islam? Is it because Allah doesn't want us to have fun? Is it because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is like, no, no fun for you? Just pray and that's it, right? And then do your math homework. No, that's not the reason why. In fact, there are many things in Islam, this might shock you, there are many things in Islam where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says very clearly, He says this about wine, about alcohol in the Quran. He says, in it, there is some benefit. In it, there is some khair. There is some goodness. But he said that the danger and the poison and the toxicity that's in it is so much greater than the good that you can't even see the good anymore. It, over, it overrules it. So I was having a conversation with somebody about dating and I was explaining. I said, does dating feel good? They said, yeah. I said, do you, do you really like this person? I said, yeah, we're in love. We've been in love forever. I said, yeah? I said, yeah, 14 years old. We're, we've been in love forever, right? Now they're in college. And I said to them, I said, why don't you try to do it a different way if you're serious about one another? Because my wife and I, we got married, alhamdulillah, in college. I don't want to hear any questions about how I did it, okay? I know it's legendary, but figure it out. I had to, okay? My wife and I got married in college. So I said, why don't you talk to your parents? Why don't you bring it up to your parents? And you know what the response was? Nobody does it that way. Nobody does it that way. Everybody just does it this way. That was the logic as to why I'm going to do it this way. Why? Because when I look to my right, when I look to my left, I see everybody with me, and so it must be okay. But then you fast forward now six weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks, and you see what? The same damage that Allah is trying to protect us from. The lack of commitment, the lack of certainty, the lack of loyalty, the miscommunication, the lack of stability emotionally between these two people, the lack of proof of dedication to one another before a commitment, all of that starts to rear its ugly head and it leaves the two individuals, if not both, maybe one, but maybe both, utterly devastated and heartbroken. And why am I suffering in this pain? Because everybody else did it this way. And if I only had the courage to stand and go the opposite direction. And this is what made the Prophet ﷺ phenomenal. One of the things amongst many that made him amazing was he, and by virtue of him, his companions, his students, they had such courage to do what they knew was right even when everyone around them gave them a million reasons not to, they would still do it. That the Prophet ﷺ, when it came to injustice, he stood up against it, even though no one else cared. When it came to equal rights, he stood up for them, even though no one else wanted them for those people. When it came to virtue, when it came to taking care of the sick and the needy and the poor, even though everyone else, even though he was from noble lineage and he was from a social class in his lineage that 
by virtue of that fact, had no reason to care for these people, he stood up against it, This is what courage is. Courage is not Damian Lillard taking threes from the logo. Courage is the Prophet taking Abdullah bin Umm Maktoum, a person who is blind, who cannot see, a person who is from a low social class, and I put my quotations up because I don't think we can comfortably say that about a companion. <laughs> and he takes him and he makes him the mu'adhin, the person who's going to call the adhan for prayer, even though he does not have the ability to see where the sun is, which will tell him what time it is to pray. That he says, I don't care. If this man doesn't have the ability to see, and you need to be able to see the sunset to know that it's Maghrib, I don't care. He's the Mu'adhin. That's courage. Why? Because it was easy for everybody to look down upon him for that lack of an ability, that disability that he had. Courage is when the Prophet ﷺ stood for the rights of women. Courage is when the Prophet ﷺ stood and he prayed despite the fact that people were hurling insults and dead animals at him. That's what courage is. Courage is when you embrace being a stranger. It's when you say, I understand that I might look a little bit different, I might talk a little bit different, I might walk a little bit different, but Allah wants me to do this and it's the least I could do for my Lord. That's what it means to be courageous. That's what it means to be a stranger. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us the courage of the Prophet We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us people who we embrace this concept of being ghuraba. That we understand that we were not meant to be here forever. That we use this dunya exactly how we should to gain us pleasure with Allah. But we realize that one day we'll be going back home. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us this tawfiq. And one thing that I want to add before I conclude my short talk and we get on to the better, more knowledgeable, and more incredible speakers that we have, Sheikh Mohammed Shinawi and Sheikh Abdul Nasser Jengda. That when a person has courage to do what's right, they also have to have the courage to do it in a beautiful way. That the Prophet ﷺ was not only described as being upon the truth, but he was described as being upon righteous character. Because a lot of times, when it comes to a person taking pride in their deen and trying to do things the right way, their tongue might become more sharp than it should be. And their words may become more hurtful than they ever should be. And as a result, they may end up pushing everybody away in the name of courage, but in reality it's just arrogance. So the Prophet ﷺ had the courage and ability to be gentle with people even when he was right and they were wrong. He had the ability to be loving and kind, even when he was purely in the right. And so make sure that along with it, embracing this newfound understanding of what it means to be a stranger, that you make your strangerness beautiful to everybody else. That people see you and they don't feel strange about you, but they feel curious about what makes you tick because it's such a beautiful thing to witness. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us people who provide proof and have no proof against us. Amin ya rabbal alameen. Jazakum khairan everybody. Enjoy the conference. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.